Thanks for tuning in to the Sojourn Church Podcast. We are a church committed to the gospel in the context of family, living on mission to the city of Portland and our world. For more information, visit our website, sojournpdx.org. Good morning and welcome to Sojourn Church. Uh, If you're new with us, my name is Matt and we're glad that you're joining with us this weekend. Uh, I was feeling very refreshed after a week off last weekend and returning from vacation. And then unfortunately, uh, COVID hit my family this week as one of my uh, children tested positive for it. So it's for that reason that we are not with you this weekend as much as I desire to be there with you. As you all know, I love gathering as God's people and as a church family, but uh, for your protection and for love for you, we are not there. We are in a quarantine right now, which is why I am Uh, recording this in my basement. Uh, For those of you who are with us during most of the pandemic, you should recognize my background and know that this was kind of what we were doing for about six months uh, before we could really regather in person. And so while it's not ideal, I think we're all kind of used to it and flexible in this day and age where we are right now. Uh, We are in between series as we finished the book of Jonah just a few weeks ago. Uh, You can go and catch up on any of those messages you might have missed on our podcast or on our sermons tab on our website. And uh, last week we heard a really encouraging message from Gabe Kolstad on just this idea of anxiety. And his message went right in line with really the the idea and the topic and the theme that we're going to look at this morning because something that was a key takeaway for me is he said that resting in God's ability more is something that we need to be able to do and that oftentimes anxiety comes from us trying to do a job that's not our job to do, by trying to take the place of God. And so when I think about uh, summer for us as a church, summer is typically one of our busiest seasons because we have mission teams who come in, we do a lot of outreach events, we do cookouts and worship nights and serve days, and the list goes on and on and on. And so normally at the end of summer, we've done this I think three or four years now, we will look at this idea of rest And so typically we'll do a message on rest. That's what you're going to look at this morning. And then next week, for those of you who are new with us, we have this annual thing called Rest Sunday. So it's not just a a week off, but it's a week that we intentionally don't gather as a church and just be that we're reminded that we get to be the church, that it's not just when we come together in this building or virtually on a uh, Sunday. And so we do that uh, intentionally just one time in the year. Uh, There's only two or three Sundays that we don't gather in the entire year. And One of those is Labor Day weekend Sunday. And so we encourage you to take next weekend to be intentional with that time, though. Spend time with family, spend time with friends who who maybe wouldn't normally go to church, but that you get to be with them and get to hang out with them and go camping or hiking and maybe even talk to them about the Lord or talk to them about that. Normally, I would be at church this weekend on a Sunday, but here's why I'm not. And just um, take advantage of that opportunity. We have some blog posts that I might send out in an email just that talks about this idea of resting and allowing God to continue to build his church regardless if we are gathering together in a building or not. Uh, And so with that, this morning we're actually going to jump into the book of Exodus, uh, chapter 17. We're going to look at the first seven verses and this idea of resting in God's provision for our lives. So go ahead and turn your Bibles, if you have them, to the book of Exodus. Um, If you're unfamiliar with the Bible, uh, Genesis is the very first book, and then Exodus is the second book right after that. Look for chapter 17. We'll be in just a few moments. Um, How many of you have ever taken a long road trip? I love long road trips, uh, especially here on the West Coast. It's just such a beautiful area of the country, and there's always 
beautiful scenery for us to look at. But uh, a few years ago, we took a long road trip. Uh, some of you heard this story, but there's many uh, new people with us. And so I felt like it was worth retelling this story. But, you know, if you ever find yourself on one of those long road trips where you find that you're out of snacks, you're out of water, um, people are complaining and you're just like, man, I'm not sure what I got myself into. But uh, three years ago, we drove up to Port Angeles, Washington, and then took the ferry over to Victoria, British Columbia. Beautiful area. If you have not vacationed there, absolutely would recommend that you visit there at some point. But on the way back, we decided to take the scenic route, okay? This seems to be a theme, if any of you heard about our story last weekend in Lake Tahoe, but this seems to be a theme with our family of let's take a longer road or let's take a different road and just kind of see where we end up. And so on the way back, we decided to take this road because who doesn't enjoy more time in a car with young children, especially three years ago. At that time, my children were seven, uh, five, and two. And so we are taking this long way around, but we failed to think through this properly because at some point we did run out of snacks and we did run out of water. One of the kids actually got car sick and threw up in the car. And we passed through this town of Forks, Washington around six o'clock. And we weren't quite hungry. We said, no, we'll just keep passing through. Forks isn't that big anyway. We'll eventually stop somewhere else to get something to eat. Well, we drove for the next like two and a half to three hours and didn't see anything. In fact, we almost ran out of gas. And uh, thankfully, I listened to Andrea. We pulled off one road and there was a gas station that you could pump your gas, but there was no, um, the convenience store itself wasn't open. So you couldn't even get any snacks or anything. And so we were able to get gas, um, continue to drive, continue to drive. And then we managed to eventually, around 11 p.m. at night, we drove into this small town in Washington. And we look up and we see this big green and yellow sign that read the word subway. And in that moment, when we see that sign, it was like manna from heaven was coming down as we knew we were going to subway to finally get some food for our very hungry bellies at that point. I tell you this story because we are jumping right into the middle of the book of Exodus. And we will see that where the Israelites are murmuring against God for a third time, this time involving water. And so go ahead and turn with me to Exodus chapter 17. Let me pray for us as we dive into the word, and then we'll look at it together. God, we come to you this morning. Uh, thank you for technology that allows us to still, um, those of us who can't be in person because of a pandemic, because of sickness hitting a household. But God, we do ask that your presence is with us this morning, whether at home or in the stamp building. God, that you would move and that you would speak to us through your word this morning. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Exodus 17, starting verse 1. All the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages, according to the commandment of the Lord, and camped at Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore, the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water, and the people grumbled against Moses and said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried to the Lord, What shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, Pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, and taking your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb. And you shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah, because of the quarreling of the people of Israel, and because they tested the Lord by saying, Is the Lord among us or not? 
So the premise of this passage, at least on the surface, it seems like there is a water issue going on here. If you've ever studied the book of Exodus, you will recognize that this is the third time that we actually see Israel murmuring and complaining against Moses out of concern for their own, um, their own physical provision. They're going, Moses, we need food. Moses, we need water. Very similar to when my family was traveling through the Olympic National Park a few summers ago. Now, the first time that we see them complaining and murmuring is actually in Exodus chapter 15, verses 24 and 25, which helps set the context for our passage this morning. It says, the people grumbled against Moses saying, what shall we drink? And he cried to the Lord and the Lord showed him a law and he threw it into the water and the water became sweet. There the Lord made for them a statue and a rule and there he tested them. The second time that we see this murmuring and plain is actually Exodus 16 verses two and three. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, would that would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate the bread to the full, for you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. So what we see here is their ungratefulness by their complaining and murmuring. We see they're self-centered, they're, they're immature, they are insecure. I mean, I think about complaining is what my three children do on long road trips in our Honda Pilot on the way back from Victoria, British Columbia, or on the way back from Lake Tahoe, where they say, are we there yet? Dad, why do we have to drive so far? And they wonder if they can have more snacks and more time on their iPad. That's what I think about when I think about grumbling and complaining. So here we are again. We find that Israelites are complaining because they've forgotten that if God could part the Red Sea for them, then he can provide water to drink. It's like, uh, it's similar to us. Time and time again, we need to be taught the same lessons because they've seen God be faithful. They've seen God come through for their provision time and time again, yet we continue to find them forgetful. It's like they have a short-term memory and they often are complaining and murmuring against God and we do the same thing today. And so it tells us, it says they're led to this place called Riphidim, which they thought was going to be a resting place, which probably had them initially excited, but the brochures did not live up to the hype. You've probably been there. You see the brochures and it's got the hotel and the swimming pool and then you get there and you arrive and you realize the pool's closed because of COVID or maybe it has green algae. And so you're like, I don't really want to get in. There's holes in the sheets. And then the shower doesn't drain, which is a pet peeve of mine, because by the end of your shower, you're essentially standing in your own filth. And so you've probably had an experience like this, whether it was a quick stopover somewhere or whether it was actual vacation that you were taking. And so that's kind of what the people are experiencing here is what they what they thought in their minds, their expectations were actually not the reality of what they were anticipating once they got to this place. And so it ends up not being a resting place at all as they discover when they get there, there is no water. This is why they thought they were going there to begin with. And then they get there and they realize the whole thing that we need, Moses, it's not even here. And so in Exodus 15, that helps out our context, they had a bad situation because there was water, but it was bitter water. It was water you didn't want to drink. And so God provided for sweet water through the use of a log. And then Exodus 16, they had been hungry as they advanced further into the wilderness of sin, but God rained down bread from heaven. But this time they found themselves at this place where it's not bad water, but there's no water at all. And they are thirsty and going, what are we going to do? Why did we come here if this was supposed to be the place where we received our provision? Now, before we're too quick to judge the Israelites, let's just be honest. We do this same thing 
and we easily find ourselves grumbling and complaining. I mean, you would think at this point in the Israelites' history, as God has delivered them time and time again, as God has given them provision time and time again, that at least one person would know what to expect. That at least one person would say, hey, guys, remember the water was bad and Moses threw this stick into the water and then the water was sweet? Or remember we had no food and we woke up and there was fresh bread from heaven, this thing we call manna? Like, you remember that? God has been faithful. God is going to continue to come through again. So you would think that, that once again, that someone's caught on by now, that that someone's the top of the class, the valedictorian would at least be paying attention. But that's not what we see happening. We don't see them cry out to God in prayer, like, God, please deliver us. God, please provide for us. Instead, what we see them doing is complaining against God. And so they show their, instead they show their immaturity and their lack of remembrance of God's faithfulness. And they return to what they've always known and what they've always done, murmuring. And so let's pick up in verses two and three. Therefore, the people quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water and the people grumbled against Moses and said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? And so we see that the murmuring this time gets ugly. As the people start to quarrel with Moses, which was really them quarreling with God, but they're taking it out on Moses because that's their, their leader. And they will deny God's sovereign protection as they forget what he has protected them from up to this point. And so it looks like things are actually going to turn violent this third time, whereas the first two times it was bad, but quickly God delivered them. And this third time, they don't see this deliverance coming. And so they start complaining against Moses himself. Now, we are jumping into the middle of the story, so it's not fully fair to the, the, the full picture and the context here. But we have to be reminded, up to this point in the story, they have experienced deliverance from plagues. The Red Sea has been parted so that they could cross on dry land. I mean, imagine your uh, commute this week and you get stuck in traffic, whether you're on I-5 or 84, and all of a sudden the Willamette or the Columbia River just opens wide up and you can just drive your car across. I mean, that would be pretty incredible if that was the case, right? They had experienced this and the Lord's provision for both water and food had come time and time again. Yet, here we find them giving their hardness of heart, just like Pharaoh and the Egyptians before them. Even though God had done all these things before, even though God had all these things to be faithful to them, they weren't resting in God's provision for them. Instead, it was momentarily in the moment. And that's where we find ourselves a lot of times today is that God will deliver us from something or God will answer a prayer for something. But we are quick to forget a month later, six months later, a year later, and sometimes we have to be reminded and look back at what God has done for us so that we can rest in God's provision for us. This is later described in the book of uh, Psalms 95, verses 7 and 9. It says, For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, as at Meribah, as on the day at Massa in the wilderness, when your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work. And so we find the people, here they find fault with their leader, Moses, maybe some of you have been there with me, and they ask him to justify his leadership. So now they're like, okay, Moses, are you really that great of a leader? They want him to prove that he is, and they want him to prove it by providing water for them. But he insists their thirst and lack of water denies the validity of their position. But by this point, Moses was used to putting the Lord to the proof. 
In other words, Moses would always kind of go, okay, God, they're testing me again. What do I do? And I'll look back at Exodus 16, verses 7 and 8. It says, And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. For what are we that you grumble against us? And Moses said, When the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat, and in the morning bread to the full, because the Lord heard your grumbling, that you grumble against him. What are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. Now, we do the same exact thing today when we accuse the Lord of trying to harm us in our trial. We should remember, too, that God has brought us through a greater exodus, and he's worthy of total trust and rest in his provisions. And that's really what I want us to be reminded of. You know, we found ourselves at a really difficult, challenging place in our world. I mean, it seems like everything we look at and we turn on the news, uh, hopefully you all received my email uh, just a couple days ago, but, you know, the the tragedy in just Afghanistan, you know, and that word doesn't even really describe what's going on there. And the the devastation that's happening in, in Haiti and the continued rise of the COVID-19, the Delta variant. And then, I mean, just this morning, I saw where one of my former professors who's now in New Orleans is having to flee his new house because of a potential hurricane that's going to touch down on the 16th anniversary of Katrina. And so just on and on and on. And so there's a lot that we could worry about. You know, I look at thing about last week, we looked at ideas of anxiety and that we need to beckon to God to deliver us from this. And so I want us to really look at God and be like, you have been faithful. God, please continue to be faithful again and show yourself strong. Continue in verse four. It says, so Moses cried to the Lord, what shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. Now, what is going on here is they've really accused God of a plot to murder because they feel like God brought them out here to kill them. They're like, God, where's our water? We're parched, we're thirsty. I'm going to die in this desert if I do not get water. And so what they see them doing now is they go to their leader, Moses. Say, God brought us out here to kill us. We thought he was gonna bring us out here to deliver us. Now, Moses had always been doubtful that the people would ever trust or accept his leadership. You know, in some ways, Moses was insecure as a leader, if you know the history of Moses. But now he's expressing more of this desperate fear as he believes the people may actually kill him by stoning him to death. Like, he's actually afraid that at this point they've had enough and that they're going to stone me if they don't get water. And so where the Israelites turn to complaining, we see Moses respond by crying out to God for deliverance. He says, God, I need you to show up. There is no other way. God, I'm fearful for my life. I need you to show up and work and to act and to provide for us in only ways that you can provide. What about you? What about us? Is that our first reaction when we find ourselves in trouble? Do we have faith-filled prayer like Moses? Or do we grumble with fear and anxiety like that of the Israelites? You know, I think some of us uh, oftentimes have this thing like it's called functional atheism. In other words, we don't believe in the God we say we believe in when we doubt and worry and we don't rest in the finished work of Jesus, right? It kind of looks at last week where Gabe helped describe for us that when we grumble and complain, we have anxiety. It's because we are trying to take the place of God because we believe that we know better than God. But only God can be God and only God can show up and work in ways that only he can do. I mean, once again, I think about the issues that are happening just globally right now around the world. You know, if you're like me, you feel helpless and you want to do something. You wish you had an endless supply of money and an endless supply of time to to volunteer and to help. The reality is we don't, but we serve and trust and love the one who does. 
And so that's why, yes, we want to put it in action and we want to give. And if we are able to volunteer, we want to do that as well. But we start with prayer to go, God, we need you to show up and work in Afghanistan. This, this devastation, God, we need you to show up and work and help with the relief efforts in Haiti. God, we need you to help stifle and just get rid of COVID altogether. God, we need you to keep this hurricane out in the ocean so it doesn't come in and wreak havoc on the city of New Orleans. And so we start with prayer. You know, I found myself this week with COVID hitting my household and, you know, I find myself kind of leaning back into the functional atheism where I trust God. And, you know, it's like, it's easy to trust God when things are going really, really well. We haven't had much of any sickness in our house in a year and a half. And then all of a sudden one of us gets a positive test with COVID. And it's like, ugh, you know, this is so inconvenient, God. Like now I'm going to have to miss, you know, these things I was going to do. Now I can't gather with my church. Now I can't be at this event and these things I want to go and do. And so all of a sudden I find myself grumbling and complaining against the Lord instead of going, man, God, for the last year and a half, we've really had no sickness in my house. Thank you for that. Others haven't experienced the same. And so maybe you can relate with me. Maybe you find yourself kind of leaning or, 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 or slipping back into that very quickly and forgetting what God has done and his faithfulness. Look at verses five and six. It says, And the Lord said to Moses, Pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb. And you shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. Now, it's as if God, people, sorry, it's as if the people have called God to the witness stand at this point in the story to give an answer. And here's the thing, God shows up. But not only does he provide water, he also provides an answer to who he is. So what's amazing here is that it's not just God can do a miracle. We know that God can do miracles. We see this throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament by providing water, but that he is willing to do it for them after so much whining and complaining. I think about my own children. Like after so much whining and complaining, I'm like, I'm done. I'm not going to provide this thing for you that you want because you continue to complain about it and whine about it. But God still provides, and this is what we call grace. And God's grace is sweet. I mean, how many of you uh, parents with children, you can relate here, they're whining and they're whining and they're whining. You know they don't deserve whatever it is that you're going to do for them. That's going to be taking them somewhere or maybe going to a friend's house or the park or ice cream or whatever it is. But there's times that not only do you use mercy with them, but you also use grace. And so you kind of say, you know what? I know you don't deserve this. You actually deserve something very different. You actually deserve a punishment. But instead of that punishment, this time I'm going to have mercy with you. And then grace is going to like, I'm going to go above and beyond that. So not only are we also going to the park, even though you don't deserve it, when we finish the park, we're going to go to Salt and Straw and get ice cream. And that's what God often does with us. That's what God does here with the Israelites. As he says, you know what? You don't deserve this. You have threatened me. You have kind of called me to the witness stand. You have threatened Moses, the leader I've given to you. But I'm going to use grace with you again. And I'm going to provide water and provision for you. Think about God doesn't owe that to the Israelites. God doesn't owe that to us, but he chooses to stand before us, even though we are the ones that are supposed to stand before God and be the ones on trial. It's like the roles are reversed. We should be the ones on trial. So say, look at my life. How does it is that I am living? Look at my sin and my brokenness and my shame. But God is a God of reversal and God, he, he reverses those roles. So think about the smitten rock in this story. It provides a picture for us. And the picture is that of Christ, who eventually would come to earth. He was born of a virgin. He lived a perfect life, but then he would go on to be smitten 
on the cross on our behalf, becoming the fountainhead of blessing, the redeemer of the world. And that is good news. And what we see is the command, you shall strike the rock, is understood to be the command, God's command to Moses to strike himself. And the result is that God himself is the source of life-giving water that flowed from that rock. This is good news, church. This is the good news that we have received, and this is the good news that we are now to go and to give to others. Let that sink in for a minute, that we should be the ones who are smitten. We should be the ones who were put on trial. But God reversed those roles and offered us not only mercy, but also grace and offered us the answer in himself. Now, this incident provides the background for the New Testament when the Apostle Paul says the rock was Jesus in 1 Corinthians 10.4. It says, and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. And then finally in verse 7 of Exodus 17, it says, And he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah because of the quarreling of the people of Israel and because they tested the Lord by saying, is the Lord among us or not? Now, the place where the events took place bears the name for Israel that reflects the events, which basically represent the two ways Israel showed its lack of faith. The first is Massa, which means testing. The second is Meribah, which means quarreling. And so these act as a reminder for the people. Now, the Israelites decided here to doubt the Lord and his very presence, even though they had a cloud representing his presence was right there next to the entire time. If you know the story of the Israelites, that there was this this cloud that represented the presence of God that they could see with their own eyes. We don't even get that. And they still doubted God's presence. And so think about this was an insult to God. This is like a child being neat D. Uh, knee deep in wrapping paper and boxes on Christmas morning and then looking at their parents and saying, so am I going to get anything for Christmas this year? Like, am I going to get any kind of gift? Or this would be like me entering the kitchen and I see steam coming out of all four burners and I look at Andrea and go, man, I'm hungry. Am I going to eat food tonight? Like, that would be extremely disrespectful. And this is what we see happening though. There's this insult that they come to God and go, God, we know you provided for us. We know that you have... Um, you've been there physically with us in this presence of this cloud, but now we're going to accuse you of not showing up. Now we're actually going to insult you. And so we see that Israel's great problem was that they refused to remember who God is and what God had done. They had this short-term memory problem. And so one obvious remedy to our own discontent and unbelief is to remember what God has done for us by resting and trusting in his provision. That's the way that we're able to do that. At this point, they're hurling insults at God, but we do the exact same thing. Now, most of us maybe do it more passively today. We don't do it quite like we see the Israelites doing it here, but we doubt that God will provide for us. And we forget to pray like the Israelites and start to, to demand things from God. You might even be going through something right now. I don't, I mean, hopefully I know as your pastor, and if I don't, please share with me. You know, that's part of being a family. That's why I sent the email out about my family. You think I wanted to share that? COVID hit our house? Not really, but I want you guys to be in key. You know, uh, one of our values is family. And we mean that. We want to know what's going on in your lives. And so maybe right now you're going through something. Maybe you've recently lost a job. Or maybe you're struggling to find a job. Or maybe you're just not enjoying the job that you are working. Maybe it's not living up to the hype. Or maybe it's just not providing enough for what you need to pay for your bills or to fix your car or to, to live the life that you believe that you need to live. And so maybe you're turning to God and going, God, come on, I thought you were going to provide for me. Or maybe you're dealing with some type of sickness right now. 
could be COVID. Or maybe someone you love have, has been given an incurable disease or diagnosis, sorry, of a disease. Or maybe the initial lore of the city of Portland has worn off over the last year as you've just watched all the different news stories and headlines and you just think, why did God bring me here at all? And you kind of turn to God, God, why am I here? What am I doing? Why did you bring me to this place? Or maybe you're just in the middle of a marriage or parenting crisis and you just don't know what to do. And so maybe your posture right now is, God, if you actually cared for me, then I wouldn't be going through this situation. God, if you actually cared for me, you would provide for me. You would deliver me from this. But perhaps God hasn't delivered you. Not yet, because God is taking you on a journey of learning what it means to follow him, of learning what it means to abide in him and trust in him and ultimately rest in him and his provision, just as he did with the Israelites. You see, God eventually delivered the Israelites time and time again. And it's possible that whatever you're going through, there's no other way for you to learn it. There's no other way for you to learn to rely on God apart from you going through what it is that you're going and enduring right now. But I know this, and we see this with Israelites, that you can turn to God, you can trust God, and you can rest in God's provision for your life. Now, for the group of Israelites, unfortunately, it leads them not entering into the promised land. And the author of Hebrews is saying the same thing could happen to us if we do not believe. In Hebrews 3, verses 7 through 12, it says, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart and they have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Take care, brothers, lest be any in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. You see, not only does he provide them with the answer of uh, provide them with water with their physical needs, but God also provides them the answers to the questions of knowing God. And then God then takes the place of Moses on that rock and Moses strikes God. And so we see the people of Israel should be the ones on trial, but God stands in their place of those that should be accused. Does this sound familiar? Perhaps what we celebrate week in and week out here at Sojourn. Now, I want to be sensitive to this. I understand that some of you might be struggling right now. Some of you might be going through a hard, difficult season right now it's perhaps led to grumbling in your life, but we need to remember that God is providing us with living water, even when we don't see it, even when we don't taste it, even when we don't feel it. If you're familiar with the New Testament story, the woman at the well from John 4, we see talk about being the living water. It says, Jesus came to the woman. He says, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. And so we see in this story that Moses struck the rock instead of the people and the water flowed to save the people. But eventually Jesus, the rock, would be stricken for our salvation. Instead of striking us, God struck his very own son. And so listen in closely with me as we get ready to close. There are really only two proper responses to this passage. The first is trust and rest in God daily with provision for your life, even when you don't see it, even when you don't feel it. And the second is trust in God's son for your deepest need as salvation alone belongs to him. That he alone can provide the salvation that you need and says that all are welcome to come to him, but you must recognize your own sin. You must repent of your sin 
and turn and embrace Jesus as the provider and sustainer of your faith. Tony Marita, pastor in Raleigh, says, like Israel, we too are sojourners who have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, who have crossed over to the other side by grace and are now on the way to the promised land. In this faith journey, in our wilderness, God is sanctifying us and teaching us to trust him, love him, and follow him. So the big idea today is that we need to learn some things from Israel's wilderness experience since their story is our story. And so here's how we're going to respond this morning. As we finish up, I want us to respond to Jesus a few different ways. First is worship through song. So as soon as I wrap up, Ben's going to come back up and lead us out in a final song where we get to worship God for who God is. And even if you don't feel like it this morning, just be reminded of the provision that God gives to your life. Second is salvation. Maybe you're tuning in this morning or maybe you're there in person and you've never actually committed your life to Christ. There's nothing more that we would love to do than to walk you through that today. So please let us know if that is the case. And in fact, uh, we're planning on maybe having another baptism here in just a couple weeks. And so um, maybe you are responding to salvation or maybe you have, but you haven't followed through in baptism. We'd love to talk to you about that and what that means, what that looks like as a disciple of Christ. The third way we're gonna respond is prayer. By confessing and repenting and seeking the only one who set the table for us and being reminded that, that God, you are the provider God and, and, and confessing where you haven't trusted God in his provision in your life. And then the fourth and final way is giving. That as a church, we wanna be generous with what God has given us, with our time, our talent, and our treasure. And so for some of us, that means we show up early and we set up. And for some of us, that means we play a guitar or sing or deliver a message or do announcements or do slides. And for others of us, that means that we are um, we, we give of our talents, our time. And then we also have our offering box in the back. And that this is a place that we can say, man, we want to be generous with our financial uh, provision that God has given us so that we can give back, which allows us to pour back into our community, that allows us to work with different groups who are already doing efforts in Haiti and Afghanistan and, um, and, and the like. And so uh, do that as an act of worship as well. And so I'm going to pray for us to finish out our time. Ben's going to come back up for us and he will lead us out in song. So sojourn, go ahead and pray with me. God, we come to you and just thank you that we're able to gather as your body, as your church. God, I miss being uh, there in person, in the flesh this morning with my church family, but God, I know that you are with them and that you're with us here at my house as well. God, I do just want to pray for Afghanistan. God, it's just been so hard to watch and keep up with what's happening in that country. And so God, I pray that you would bring peace that only you can bring to that country. God, that you can remove the politics out of it. And God, just that you would rain down and bring peace. God, I pray for our brothers and sisters who are facing persecution. God, that they could stand strong in the face of it. God, they would not renounce their faith, but they would stand strong, believing and following you, even if that means their death on this earth. God, I pray for Haiti. God, in the cleanup efforts there, God, that once again, you would just show up and God, you would provide for that country. God, a country that's already one of the poorest in the world. And that you would help the relief efforts there. God, that we'd be able to partner with different organizations like Send Relief and Samaritan's Purse and um, a few others I sent out, God, that we'd be able to partner with them and be generous. God, even given our time if it requires that. God, I pray for the Delta variant. God, that you would just eradicate this thing called COVID as it's continuing to disrupt our lives. God, that you would um, give us wisdom in how it is that we respond to 
everything around us, we use mercy and grace with one another. God, I pray that this morning, if uh, someone needs to give their life to you for the first time, or maybe just needs to repent and being reminded of your provision for them, that they would do that. God, we love you. We thank you for your love for us, even when we forget it. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. We'd love to hear how God is working in your life. You can connect with us and find more available teachings and resources at our website, sojournpdx.org.